Byram, Mississippi. It's Lakeshore Church. And now we join Pastor Jay Frazier for today's message. Verse 1 through 30 of John chapter 4. Uh, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, in parentheses, as though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria named, called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her. And come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father. You will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, in parentheses, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I am the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Let's pray. We ask you, Lord, simply that my words be yours and my thoughts to be yours. Lord, we thank you for the worship before. We thank you for the service before. God, we just ask for you to come in this place. And truly, Lord, that we'd walk in obedience to what we hear from this encounter today. That all of us would emulate and imitate what we extract out of these things today. And God, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for all that you do. For we ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. All of these encounters that we've taken up and the ones that we'll do in the coming weeks have their own uniqueness. They're all different. But every one of them have similarities. And just similarities come to mind with me. There seems to be, there's just, it's, like, it's almost like it's chance. If you didn't know the story and some of the things extract out of you, you'd say, well, this was just, he just bumped into this woman. But we know it's more than that. They're almost, they're almost surreal. There, there's some oddness to them. 
that you got one person as a stately man, well-educated, you got another woman, this one, and, and then you got John the Baptist, and, and the ones that you see, they're all different. There, there's, there's an oddness to them, as well as the similarities. And the last thing, we don't need to miss this, is that every one of them have spiritual parallels and dynamics that we need to adhere to and follow. And this is rich. I said I could, I could preach for two months from this and the things that are there, the, 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 the structure things, the theological things, the doctrinal things that are there, the relational things, the social things that are there. There's so much for us to see in this. Hmm. I'll say again that everything about our life is about an encounter with Jesus Christ. You can't be saved without an encounter with him. Do you know that? Our devotional life, sometimes we get into the reading and we get into this and we get into the study but really what a devotional life is about is having an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what our prayer life is. Praying is encountering. You're, you're communicating with God. You're having an encounter with him. And life issues is the same way. It's a great song. Mike Bowling, is, he's actually a, a Jason Crabb's brother-in-law. He married one of the daughters of the Crabb family, one of the sisters of the Crabb family. But uh, Mike Bowling sings a song entitled, He Gave Me Water. Uh, it's a great song. It, it has some phenomenal lyrics. I listened to it several times this week leading up to this sermon, and it just captures it so well from a song standpoint. Uh, there's also a great dynamic that's, uh, that's in this encounter, and it has to do with when we meet the Lord and God does something in our life, he expects us to affect other people. He expects us literally to affect the world for the kingdom. And, it, and I began to think about just that old song. How many of you remember the song when you came along in church, been in church, that he's got the whole world in his hands? Y'all remember that? Y'all, y'all remember singing? I remember, I don't remember what, what was it, vacation Bible school or Sunday school or I don't ever think you sang it at church necessarily, but I remember in different settings that song. And I just want to remind you with all the uncertainty going on, and Lord knows we got a lot of that and there seems to be more every day. I just want to remind you publicly that God still has the whole world in his hands. Amen. Uh, He created it all, uh, and I'm reminded that you and I are supposed to affect the world. Acts 1-8 reminds us of that. Samaria is a part of it. Our Acts 1-8 cross is theirs, that you and I are supposed to affect our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and uh, to the ends of the earth we're supposed to be. And I just want to remind us that that, I I love that picture too. The Samaritans, when I think about the world, were outsiders. Here's what happened, just basically. Many, many years before this encounter... The Samaritans intermarried and intermingled with Assyrians. And that was a no-no for the Jewish people, all right, for the Hebrews. You don't do that. Uh, And so what happened is the ones that were more righteous and the ones that had never done anything like that, what really happened was through time, through hundreds of years, Samaritans became the outcast. They were literally outcast. They looked at that. They didn't even, and when she talked about the mountain and the worship, they didn't even believe that Jerusalem was the Mecca of, of, of worship. They didn't believe that was the Temple Mount. They didn't believe in all that. They believed in a total different mount. <laughs> and she refers to that, that we worship on this mountain. And, and it was right there near where they were from in Samaria and Sychar. And so the, the point being is they were pretty much outsiders. And, and I want to remind us today, and as we said in present, that, that God is one that he doesn't have any outsiders. He didn't die for some, he died for all. And we all need to hear that. And in the world, in the diversity that we have today, hmm, we need to be reminded that God loves all. And I've come to tell you today that God loves you. Regardless of what you've done right or wrong in your life, God loves you. And it reminds me of a saying, and I love it, and it's not original to me, but I've used it for years. Today, you need to be reminded that there's not something that you can do bad in your life to make God love you any less. Did you know that? But did you also know that there's nothing in your life that you could do well 
and make him love you anymore. God has already exhausted his love for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Hmm. And today for this thought, this sermon, Jesus waits. He waits to create something significant in your life. And maybe this is one of those times where you say, you know what, I got it all going on. I got my day all planned. I never realized that the God of the universe has picked out this Sunday morning, maybe even virtually, to speak something into your life. That God wants to, he's waiting right now to create something significant in your life. So I want to set the scene today with the Samaritan woman at the well. And, and there's five aspects of it. And I'm just going to plow right into it. But here it is. When I think about the scene, the first thing that comes to mind in setting that is Jesus sits and waits, as we were just talking about. So many of us, it's exactly what God has done. The scripture talks about that God draws us to himself. We've already seen in an encounter that we've got to realize, and there's a realization, you know, that, that we need God to do something for us, and this was happening for her. I love the verse in this passage that it says he sat and waited. It doesn't say how long he waited. You know, it might have been hours. <laughs> he sent the disciples off to get something there, and, and uh, we'll establish why of that, I believe, with everything about me here in a moment. But he did. He sat and waited. Hmm. I believe he had one thing on his mind, or for us today, I believe he had one person on his mind. I love the Christian standard version, but in the King James, this is what it says in John 4, 4. I committed it to memory a long time ago, and it says this, he must needs go through Samaria. And, and some would say, well, it was just on the way. I believe in everything about me that God, it's not coincidental. There are no filler verses. I believe in everything about me when he sat and waited at the well, he knew in his 100% God that the Samaritan woman was coming and he was going to interact with her. He sits and waits. And I say, he's been doing that a lot. Hmm. He sits and waits. He waited on her. Today, he's seated at the right hand of God, the father waiting on you and me. Today, he's interceding for you and me. At the Last Supper, right before he was going to face death and, and all the gruel part of that, it says he had a Last Supper with the disciples where he sat down for a while. Let's, let's sit down and have a meal together. And he established some of the things of our faith and, and some of the things of our theology and doctrine that we adhere to. Let's sit a while. And I'm telling you today that Jesus is sitting right now waiting to create whatever environment you need in your life. So he sits and waits. Secondly, he sets the scene. <laughs> For Moses, setting the scene was a burning bush. How many years did it take to get there? Go and study this decades that, that Moses was prepared for the burning, bur the burning bush experience. Hmm. We have Paul. We've already preached a sermon on him that was Saul. And Jesus and God allowed the persecution of the church to get Paul to a place where he could see a light that shines from heaven and have an encounter with God on the Damascus Road. How many years of preparation was it for God to get him to a right place where he could be ready for that? For her, if I was going to preach just on the, the water pot or the water jar and just on the whale, the sermon title might be today for the Samaritan woman, the pale and the whale. For today, for today, if that's all it is, but it's not coincidental that water was involved in this because every part of the Samaritan's woman's life depended on water, her work. Whether cleaning or cooking and all that, everything, her worth was in that water. Mm. You see, you could preach a whole sermon when she laid down the, the water pot. She laid down that earthly thing that was so vital to her life because she had met something and experienced something more vital in her life. 
There's nothing wrong with water pots, but they can't be out of proportion and out of perspective in our life when it comes to the things of God. The earthly cannot be more important than the eternal. It was all about her world. And I want to remind you, Jesus came to her world to affect her. You know what it reminds me of? Pretty good thought. Listen to this. The Son of God, who knew no sin, left his world and came to our world to affect us. Isn't that amazing? The Son of God. Wouldn't you think that he would say, listen, if y'all want something from me, you know where I am. Just come on up here. (laughs) It's not what he did. He took on flesh, and that flesh was broken so that he could set up a way that we could connect with him. So not only did he, he sit and wait, but he set the scene for her, and he does for us as well. And by the way, he didn't have to. Hmm. He could have called, someone said, 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. So thirdly, he also settles the issues of life. We've seen it in all the encounters that, that we have to deal with truth. We've said it weekly in these encounters. Right in the middle of this story, he tells her, go get your husband. I love this part of the story. It's sort of a great memory for me. I told it at the early service and my wife was in there. I'll probably hear it this afternoon. But when we first started the nativity many years ago, uh, Suzanne and I signed up to be in, and uh, Glenn and Angela were in it too, I remember. I remember Angela's big wig, but Glenn's big wig that he wore looking like Jesus. He was sort of a scary Jesus. I was a nice looking Jesus. Glenn was sort of a scary Jesus, more like Charles Manson than he did Jesus, but Anyway, why did that come out of my mouth? Anyway, but we, we, we rotated. I remember a couple of years, it was us two, us two couples, and it was every 30 minutes on every hour, we were going back and forth, back and forth. And so the first year, you remember when, when, when Valerie told us, don't say anything, you just act like you're in, you know, don't say anything. And she loosened up the first couple of years and let us begin to talk. And so I enjoyed it. I, I've already shared a point. I sat on the well. Suzanne had to stand up for her 30 minutes because she was Samaritan the woman of the well, that low down woman. She had to stand there. I, I got to sit on the well. I was Jesus. And I, listen, it's one of the few hours of the year I thoroughly enjoyed our relationship. I got to tell her some stuff. And when I would sit on the well, I would raise up my hand and I'd say, you've been married five times. You hussy. She said, that's not in the story. And I said, it's in my loosely translated version. So I would say all that. And, and then I would look through my hands while I said, and I said, and the one you're living with, you're not married to him. You're, you're shacking up with him. That's all Southern lingo. But anyway, all of a sudden, Suzanne, I'd do that a few times. And she'd look at me and say, we're going to be through in a few minutes. Then I'd come back to reality. But I can remember talking about the five husbands and the one you're living with. And, and I've said this publicly. Just want you to know this, ladies. I am a man. I need to say that. But if I was a woman and I'd been married five times, I'd probably be living with the sixth one. Probably wouldn't go to the justice of the peace to find me another preacher to marry me the sixth time. But she was in a mess. But let me tell you something. Aren't we glad? Listen. Everything that we have is based that God goes directly to the issues of life. I've had a little bit of a light time, but I get very serious with you. God knows where we are. I'm so glad that he doesn't leave us in the dark. I'm so glad to know that my life ends today, that I know that God has revealed to me the things in my life that I need to know about. He doesn't say, well, I don't want to hurt Jay's feelings, so I'm not going to talk to him about that real bad stuff in his life. I'm just going to make him feel good today at church. Listen, we're in a bad state of affairs, folks, if we can sit in church and feel good to the point that we never deal with issues in our life. 
If we've been rocked to sleep because we want to feel good about things when things are not good in our life, there's something wrong with that picture. And I'm not here just to browbeat and eat people up all the time. But what I see in this story, Jesus didn't hurt her. He didn't leave tracks on her. But he dealt with the issues of her life. And I believe with everything about me, the gospel is still relevant to that place today. And today people don't want to hear it, so they distance themselves from it. Maybe we distance ourselves from the word. We distance ourselves from from hearing God's word. Hmm. He deals with the issues of life. Listen, he dealt with the real issues, the well and the water, and he dealt with the relational issues. He started with Jacob, went to her husband's, and ended up her relationship with him. Aren't we glad Hmm? that he settles the issues of life? Listen, fourthly. Right after that, <laughs> she sets out to do something. Hmm. Look about this. And I say this without backing up. I still believe with everything about me, a relationship demands a response. It requires a response. Today, I can't wear this wedding ring and not think that I have to respond, that I can go without responding to my bride. I have to. I can't be a father of th- three and think that I, I'm not required to, for a response. You don't talk about the issues going on in our world today. Think about it along these lines. Four out of ten children that are being born in America today, this day, across racial things, across gender, across, across uh, I should say, economic status, four out of ten children do not have a dad in the home today. Let me tell you something, folks. Relationship requires a response. I mean, see, I can't just say, well, I can have a relationship, but it doesn't require me to do anything. Everything requires us to do something in relationship. When she met Christ and realized that he was it, the first thing she did, she didn't have a conference. She didn't have a pastor. She didn't even have a complete Bible. She just knew something within her. I have met the Messiah. The first thing that came out of her was to go tell someone else about it. I don't want to hurt, but there's something wrong, folks. There's something wrong with the church today. And I'm saying the church as a whole, all we have is give me, give me, give me. And yet we cry out for a response. The world needs to see a response that comes out of that relationship that we have with Christ. Right now, we're, we're in the moving deal, and i got a barn, okay, that I've been working on. And this barn, um, i I got a little finch that's built a, a nest in the barn, and it's in my old golf cart. Now I can't even move my golf cart because I'm taking little babies away from their mama. So now a little finch, that who knows the value of a little finch, owns my golf cart. But she's got little babies in there now. And I hear them chirping, 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 chirping. And I mean, literally, when you look at them, and I don't want to get too close and mess up that part of creation, but I'm looking at them, and, and, and all three or four of them, this is the way they are. They're up there, and it's just, give me, give me, give me. Every time she leaves the nest, you see them. They're chirping. Chip, chip, chip. They want something. Give me, give me, give me. Huh? They're designed in life for mama to meet their need. And this hit me for this sermon now. And please don't be offended because I'm one of you. I'm actually sitting down with you now. Matter of fact, this seat's pretty warm, what I'm fixing to talk about. I just want you to know that. My derriere's a little warm on this seat. What I'm fixing to tell you. There's something wrong in the Christian church. That all we do is, it's this is a relationship and God feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Where's my next worm coming from? Where's my next cricket? And we need to understand that this relationship that I have with a heavenly father, if he cares for the bird, then he falls from his nest. How much more does he care for you and me? And if that's the relationship that he has with me, how dare me take that relationship and I just keep it to myself? A relationship demands a response. 
And what I see with the Samaritan woman, she didn't have anybody to tell her any different. The first thing she knew she needed to do was go tell somebody else that I found the Messiah. And nobody told her she was supposed to. And I believe with everything about me, the reason was is that the relationship with Almighty God demands a response. And how we've gotten so good at taking it in. How, how in the world have we gotten so good at, God, what you going to do for me today? Bless us, Lord. Bless us. And God said, I, listen, you're not using what I've already given you. Huh? How about expending a little bit on that? Huh? How about taking some of that relationship and pouring it on someone else? And then I'll give you some more. Oh, man. I'm more wound up than I was at the 9 o'clock. You folks must need it worse. Maybe I need to hear it twice. Amen? Listen, they told me when you go to Israel, you'll never get over this. You'll use Israel for the rest of your ministry in a whole new, night, what, in a whole new way. Listen to this. You know why the Dead Sea is dead? Probably heard this before. Because it takes in, but nothing comes out. I floated in it. It's so putrid that you can put your hands and your feet out of the water and you won't sink. Putrid. This morning, our industrial park, the wind was coming out of the east. And so in our parking lot, we have a whole new smell. I used to think I was downwind to some other church members, and I realized it wasn't them. But, but won't name any names till after church. Anyway, but it was worse than that. Putrid. You know what I found out? I didn't know this until I went to Israel. I knew about the Dead Sea. I've told that for years, decades. But you know what I found out about the Dead Sea? It's the lowest elevation on the entire earth. So listen, everything, listen, if you want to think outside the box, everything is higher than the Dead Sea. So everything, and I know there's oceans and continents that mess this analogy up, but everything flows into the Dead Sea. Watch this, nothing comes out of it. You know what that leads to? Putrid. Sickening smells. I mean, just grotesque place. Dead. It's dead. The reason they call it dead is because it's dead. Nothing can live in it. And folks, let me tell you something. Oh, if that, just, just receive this and know that I love you. And I'm saying this for Jay too. How that must be what we look like to God if we take in and we take in and we take in in this relationship with very little, if any, response out. Well, Brother Jay, I'd be embarrassed if I talked to somebody about their marriages. Jesus wasn't. Don't mean you have to leave tracks on them. Hmm? The woman caught in adultery. Jesus said, where are your condemners? You remember the sermon? They said, there are none. She said, there are none, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn condemn thee. Go and sin. What? No more. There's a right way to do it. But folks, we're living in a fantasy land if we think people are going to come to know Christ and we don't tell them about him and we don't live him in front of him. Oh, listen. Oh, it's good stuff. She set out. And the last one is this. Others are set up. I call it the natural spiritual progression. Others are set up. Somebody said about evangelism, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. (laughs) I just want you to know that. Who does he think he is standing up there today? I'm just like you. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Amen. I've just taken God at his offer. Am I perfect? No. You know, do I live in the same world you live? Yes. Am I supposed to take this relationship that I have with God and sit on it? No, I'm supposed to respond to others and be involved in other people's lives just like you. Not just my calling, not on my life, but 
my commissioning in Christ, set others, set others. Listen, listen, this is what I say. I just started thinking about it. never preached this before either. I call it the chain of evangelism. See, Jesus met her, watch this now, Jesus met her knowing that if he could win her, if he could impact her life, she would go impact others. And I call it the chain of evangelism. But far too many times, it's one more deep thing. Please give me this much grace and I'll move on. It'll be lighter here in a few minutes. <laughs> but this is what happens. And I just thought about this. This came to mind. I looked on the internet and I found it. Show, show the picture of the chain of evangelism. See, what happens is this. Is that if I don't do my part in the chain and I let my part of the chain break, then those that need to hear next are not going to hear. See, she immediately, when she had this encounter with Christ, Jesus knew he was setting others up. And you know what I love about the story? Go read the rest of the story. There's some more verses in John 4. It says that the last verse says they set out to go meet him and see him for themselves. And then later on it says they have an interaction with her and says we believed at first because of what you said. Now we've gone to see him for ourselves. Now we believe for ourselves. Hmm, that chain. But folks, if we can take the relationship and not respond to other people, I, should, I believe everything about me, people in your family, people at your work, your neighbors, everybody should know that if you know Jesus Christ, they should know it. Why wouldn't you tell them the greatest news that ever happened to you? Amen. Amen. Well, I don't want to offend. I'll tell you one. The, the scripture says the gospel is an offense because some people are not going to receive it. But it doesn't change us from doing what we're supposed to do. See, the others were set up. They really were. I want you to just think about for a moment, how many people do you know? How far would you have to go in your own life before there's somebody that you would be concerned about their eternal, eternal relationship with Christ? How far would you go? I wonder, under the sound of my voice, if there's a spouse here that you would be concerned about the soul of your husband or wife. Hmm. I wonder if there are parents here concerned where your children stand with the Lord. I wonder if there's any children here that are concerned where your parents stand with the Lord. I wonder how many people have neighbors. How far would you have to go in your neighborhood, wherever you live and reside, before somebody would come to mind that you would be unsure, and maybe you're very sure that they don't know the Lord. I wonder how far you'd go from the cubicle or wherever you work, standing or sitting, wherever you work, how far would you have to go in your occupation before you'd be concerned about someone's soul? And the reason I share that with you is God has set us up because he wants to set others up with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what I see in the Samaritan woman. That's why I told you. Do you believe me now I could preach two months on this? Someone said, you're trying to do it right now. <laughs> Here's where we are. That's where I want to end today. There's a significance to, to Jacob's well, even bigger than one person. Jesus was doing some things that day that are so paramount for us in our world that we live in. Jacob's well is a center thing. It was a reminder to God's people that God provides for his own. It was water. You're not going far in this world if you don't have water. We, we see some of that in our world today, even in America. But Jacob's well was a, was, was, was a center point of that because it pointed to God, Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who were faithful. He's faithful to his children. He's faithful to his chosen ones. But here Jesus is sitting at Jacob's well. I don't believe it's coincidental. And right here at this well, he pulled a lot of things together. Right there at that well, he reached out with one arm. And he said he took God, our heavenly father, and he took the, the sin of man, and he connected them together by what Jesus would do. Hmm. At the same well, he dealt with the gender issue. Same well, he dealt with the gender issue. The disciples came back and said, he's talking, he's talking to a woman. 
Huh. Hey, Bart. Bart. Bart, listen. Don't go over and tell him to get me in trouble. But Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. She even says, what is a Jew? She says this. She says, what is a Jew like you talking to a Samaritan woman? We invite you to visit lakeshorecmc.org to find out more online. That's lakeshorecmc.org. Thank you for joining us.